Ministry Mentorship, Episode 2. Hello and welcome to this episode of Ministry Mentorship. My name is Jacob Tapia and this podcast is dedicated to connecting apostolic leaders with young ministers for the purpose of helping them develop in their ministries. Today we're going to be talking with Pastor Stan Gleason and he is the pastor of the Life Church in Kansas City, Missouri. He's a husband of Marlene and the father of uh, Justin, his wife, Anna, and then Marissa and her husband, Daniel, and Michaela and Caleb. And uh, he attended Apostolic Bible Institute and was also involved in the quartet, of which I have many of the records. People think I'm crazy, but I enjoyed their music. He <laughs> has evangelized. He's been in youth and associate ministry, and he's been pastoring the Life Church for several years now. Uh, He served as the Missouri District Superintendent, and he's currently serving in the United Pentecostal Church as our Assistant General Superintendent. Brother Gleason, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jacob. And the only thing you forgot is all-around nice guy. (laughs) And that, too. And and, And one other thing is, I wanted to mention this, is that Brother Gleason is my competition for impersonations. And so he is... He's quickly uh, overtaking me. No, you're in a class all by yourself. <laughs> and and uh, I also got to say that, no, nobody thinks you're crazy for liking good old-fashioned apostolic Southern gospel quartet music. Come on now. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Yes, sir. We're here talking today uh, with Brother Gleason about developing young ministers in their ministry. And this is for ministrymentorship.com. And uh, I wanted to ask you some questions, Brother Gleason. Maybe you can just talk to us a little bit. When did you first feel that calling into ministry? And can you kind of describe that and walk us through how that all took place in your life? Sure. Well, I grew up in a minister's home. My dad never pastored, but he had a calling on his life to train people for ministry. Uh, As you said, I attended ABI. Uh, I grew up in the Bible college culture. The uh, students went to my home church. My father taught there. We were very embedded in that whole uh, process. So uh, I guess just like the sons of Samuel, you know, I I think PKs are prime targets for God to call. I I just think they're... uh, being raised in a, in a in a man's home who walks with integrity, you have that model and example before you, and I think I think God does. I know some PKs uh, shrink back from that, and and some rebel against it. But I always felt like it was a privilege to grow up in a minister's home. Well, when I graduated from high school, I felt like I did want to go to Bible college, although I wanted to be used of God. I did not feel a specific call on my life to preach. But after I uh, went through my first year, that summer of 1976, God clearly spoke to me. And I know everybody's call is different, but I, I did have a moment, a place, and a time. I know the day. I know the time. I know the place, the address. I, I could take you there. 
It was a very specific and definite call. And of course, uh, I finished Bible college. I didn't run out and try to change the world. Uh, finished Bible college and, and then started uh, full-time ministry about six months later. Was there a first step or something that you were involved in maybe before you went to Bible school or even, even um, while you were there? Where did, what was that first step of getting you started in ministry? Well, it's, I think that's a great question. What I've noticed in my life is most people are already doing what they eventually get recognized for. And most people are already engaged in serving somewhere uh, when God calls them. I just don't, I don't think that God hires from the unemployment line. I think God comes alongside people that are already engaged, people that are in motion. For example, when I was in Bible college, I drove a public school bus as a job. I worked two hours in the morning and about three hours in the afternoon. And my favorite route was a special ed route. And I loved those uh, special needs children. And I thought so many times how the years that I drove those children and sometimes I'd have to go into their home and pick them up and carry them into the bus and, and with all their handicaps and all the physical challenges that they had, which also presented challenges for me as a driver and caregiver, um, you know, I was pastoring, hmm. not to say that our church is full of <laughs> <laughs> special needs people, but, That's right. but we do, but we do have some, we do have some, but it, it, it just, you know, I was pastoring, I was, right. which, you know, it's a, a pastor is a shepherd. It's, you know, simply means a caregiver. And so I actually was pastoring long before I ever was a pastor. And then I was a, an assistant I was asked to be uh, uh, an assistant youth pastor when I was finishing up my last year of Bible college. And, you know, that's code word for uh, van driver. <laughs> and, uh, that's right. and so, you know, I served, uh, I served a man who was my youth, pa- youth pastor, and, and it was a privilege. It was a privilege. It was an honor. And uh, then, you know, I was, had an opportunity to be a youth pastor, uh, which was my second uh, ministry assignment when I started full-time ministry. But here's the thing. How does a guy get started or a a young lady, how do you get started in ministry? I think everybody needs somebody. I think we all need somebody. Uh, nobody makes it by themselves. You know, anybody that thinks they're a modern day John the Baptist and, you know, came out of the wilderness and nobody helped them or encouraged them or mentored them. I just that's not the way God develops people uh, today, and 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 I think we all need somebody to believe in us. We all need somebody to give us a shot, give us an opportunity, and that certainly is true in my life. Absolutely, I can see that that same thing in my own life. I remember I was think reminiscing a while back on my first message, and uh, how I had been listening to several Jeff Arnold tapes. And I felt like I was going to be the next Jeff Arnold, and it 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 didn't really work out that way. But thank God, somebody <laughs> gave somebody gave us a chance. I probably said, "You slime bags." I don't know. 
Well, you know, you mentioned something earlier about about the voice of God, how you heard a definite word from God about ministry or about uh, going to Bible school or talk about that. How can, how can we discern that? And how can we know, you know, this is God speaking to me and this is the way I need to go. Well, that's a, a very good question. And it's not a simple answer because it's, that could look like something different, really, for everybody. For me, I personally believe that when when someone definitely has a moment, just like when you receive the Holy Spirit, everybody knows where they were. You know, nobody says, sure. well, I'm not really sure where I was when I got the Holy Ghost. You know, you... Right you'd really doubt whether they receive the Holy Ghost or not. And everybody can take you to a place. And uh, I'll just, I'm going to kind of probably upset a few apple carts here, but I just personally believe that people that have a definite place and time, when there was a moment when God called them into the ministry, those people usually become some of the most effective people in their lifetime for ministry. And the reason that I believe that is, first of all, I think that's apostolic. You know, all the disciples had a moment when Jesus said, follow me. Saul of Tarsus had a moment on the road to Damascus. And so I think there's some theology for it. I think there's some Bible for it. But God knows the ministry is not for wimps. And you're going to need... You're going to need that moment in your life because there's so much self-doubt that comes with it. And we're, we, we operate in a supernatural kingdom, but we're still got our feet flat on the floor. And there's all kinds of spiritual attack. And the devil will try to get you to doubt, just like he did Jesus in the wilderness. You know, if thou be the son of God, uh, that you're going to have to have that calling, that, that, that Samuel pouring oil over David's head moment when you can tell the devil he's a liar. And even though you don't feel very anointed at times, you can look back at that moment and say, you know what? I am anointed. I am called. I am chosen. And so, and I think that also that some young people, it, they, they just get a burden. They, they just see a need and they get a burden and I think ministry develops out of that as well. In fact, that's the quickest way I know to get an anointing on your life, in addition to being submitted to spiritual authority. And that is to have a, to catch a burden, to see a need and to have a desire to fill up and pray until either God empowers you or tells you to go or lets you go or sends you, you know, and I, I think it's, it looks different for someone, but that's what it looked like for me. That's great. Who are some other people in your life that have influenced you? Well, thank you for that question because, uh, in fact, I'm in my office right now as we're recording this interview, and I have a I have an old-fashioned lectern in my office where I have a tallit, which is... Uh, a Jewish prayer cloth, and I also have, oh, it looks to me like about 
14 Bibles, and uh, one stack of Bibles is, are all of my Bibles growing up and Bibles that I've wore out in my ministry. And then I have another stack of Bibles. In fact, Jacob, you'll love this. I have a I have two Bibles that S.T. Norris actually preached from. Oh, wow. Who, who was my pastor. His uh, granddaughter gave them to me. Hmm. She knew I would. She knew I would cherish them, and I'm very, very honored to have them. And no, they're not for sale for any <laughs> ADI alumni out there. Uh, and then I have um, I have five other Bibles that are very special. Actually, four. I'm, I'm working on a fifth one, but I've had five men in my early growing up, and then uh, my impressionable early years of ministry that impacted my life. And I'm blessed to have. Bibles of four of them. One is from my father, who he actually never pastored. He was a minister, called minister, grew up in a minister's home, but he never did pastor. But uh, my father taught me how to be a Christian. That was the greatest impact that he had in my life. He taught me how to respond to criticism, how to keep a positive attitude no matter what's going on around you. My father taught me about the integrity of Christianity in that uh, he was the same thing in church, behind the pulpit, teaching a class, leading a choir, singing in the quartet, as he was driving a car at home at the kitchen table or on vacation. He was always the same. He always was the same. He always was a Christian. And so I, I owe my father a great debt of gratitude for that. So I have, I have actually two of his Bibles. And then as I said, I have a couple Bibles from S.G. Norris. He was my pastor uh, until I left home at the age of 21, all the years growing up. And I also have a Bible from my father-in-law, Charles Dyson Sr. And I was privileged to marry his daughter, Marlene. And uh, unfortunately, he suddenly and tragically passed away after only six years of marriage to his daughter. But during those six years, he also was a preacher and a pastor. He also was a prophet, and I had opportunity to be tremendously impacted, uh, not only academically, and we would sit down and talk about the Bible and talk about the scriptures and talk about doctrines, and, but uh, he also uh, gave me a spiritual mantle. Uh, one day I had an encounter with him after a message he preached, and he laid hands on me and just really blessed me uh, after he preached to me. Uh, about having an apostolic ministry, and uh, little did we realize that he would drop dead of a heart attack suddenly, just three months later. And I've often wondered how my life would be different today had I not had that moment of the laying on of hands. And I, I really believe that he imparted something very special into my life, because I know immediately my ministry changed and went to a whole new level after that moment. So I have one of his Bibles, and then I have a Bible from uh, Norman Pasley Sr. In fact, he was very instrumental in my calling into the ministry. He was the one that invited me to preach my first sermon in Cincinnati, Ohio, August the 5th, 1976. And it was there. Uh, I went there without having any sense of a calling to preach, but I just went at his very sure and confident invitation, although I was scared to death. Uh, but right before the service and the prayer meeting, God specifically called me into the ministry through the gifts of the Spirit. Very profound experience, very, very personal. 
uh, so I, I've ended up with one of his Bibles, and uh, I'm I want uh, I'm looking for a fourth Bible, a fifth Bible from another one of my pastors who was also in St. Paul and succeeded Brother Norris, and that's uh, Robert Sabin. I uh, someday I'd like to have one of his Bibles. So um, anyway, that's uh, those are the men that shaped my life early on. And I'm I'm a debtor to them. That's incredible. I know one of the things that comes to my mind when I think about people in our lives is is also the fact that even though we don't may not realize it sometimes is that we are having an impact in other people's lives, even as as young ministers, uh, in our youth groups, in our Sunday schools, we're impacting people right now. And even though all of us, we do have and should have uh, men and women in our lives that impact us and help us, I think another aspect of that is that uh, we're also doing that for someone. Someone's looking at our life, no matter how young we are, or maybe we're just new in the ministry or, or you know, trying to develop ourselves. Somebody's watching us, too. And, uh, yes, and Jacob, can I comment on that? Sure. I think that's a great point. That is a great point, because that's very apostolic. And I think the scripture for that is Second Timothy two two, where Paul said to Timothy, he said, "The things that I've committed to you, you commit to other." He said, "You commit to faithful men, who will turn around and and teach others also." So really, in that one verse, you really have four generations or three handoffs, the three handings of the baton: Paul to Timothy, Timothy the faithful men, and faithful men to who will teach others also. And let me say it this way. Everybody needs to have a Paul in their life, and we need to pursue a Paul. That that would be a, a spiritual mentor, someone that we respect, that we look up to, we respect their anointing, we come under their anointing. It could be a pastor, or if you are a young pastor, it can be just you still need a pastor, even if you are a pastor. You need to have a pastor in your life, as as I do and always will. So pursue a Paul, and then have a have a colleague, a friend, and I would I call this be a Barnabas, and that's a that's a that's a that's a come alongside friend uh, that you can have in ministry, and then we have to turn around and train a Timothy. So you really, to use a corporate analogy, you have an uplink, a side link, and a downlink. We're being mentored, but we also should be bringing someone else along. That's the price of being mentored is you must turn around and uh, invest in someone else. Absolutely. Uh, talk to that young person right now that is searching. Uh, maybe they're, uh, they're in a period of their life where they're going through transition. They're, uh, they're not really a part of the youth group, but yet maybe they're not really into that, you know, corporate mentality or, or even going to college, or, or just talk to that young person that's trying to find the will of God for their life. Well, um, finding the will of God, I don't think is like you know trying to find a need, a needle in the haystack. Uh, I think God is very anxious to know for us to know what His will is, and I would really like to demystify the will of God. You know, some people think the will of God is 
you know, when they're looking for a, a, a ministry spouse, you know, that they're going to get married to. Some people think that, you know, there's only one person in the world that can marry, and some people think there's only one place they can go to be in the will of God. And I just don't believe that. Um, and some people may criticize me for thinking that the will of God is just way too generic, but, and I don't think that either, but I just think that, you know, God, uh, when we're born, we're born with certain talents and abilities. And then when we're saved, the Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. And I think that we can position ourselves to be used of God by availability and sheer hunger for God. When I look back, Brother Jacob, when I look back on my life, I was raised in a great church, just a great church. In fact, I arranged uh, a reunion of my ninth grade Sunday school class. We had a ninth grade boys Sunday school class of just boys. And there were about 15 of us in that class, and I contacted all 15. Uh, and only 10 of us showed up. This is about three years ago. And, uh, it, it was so much fun to come back together and talk about old times. But what tore my, what tore me apart was only two of those ten were, uh, faithful to the apostolic, um, truth. And let me tell you why. And here's what I believe. The two of us, not patting myself on the back, but uh, all of us heard the same preaching, grew up in the same church, same teaching, same everything. But the difference was this other young man, who is, by the way, Jim Booker, who pastors in West Bend, Wisconsin. Uh, as I look back over our formative years, he and I were always in the altar. We never missed an altar call, never. And uh, when others were out just, you know, quick to leave, the church after service, we never were quick to leave. We were always praying. We were always seeking God and pouring our hearts out. And I think we can position ourselves just by sheer hunger and availability uh, to be used of God. Uh, and it's almost like, you know, I don't want to, it sounds too dramatic, but it's like God doesn't have a choice, you know? <laughs> Come on, God, you know? Yeah. We want to. We want. We're hungry for this. We want to be used for you, and you can never lose that. You can never get to a place in your ministry where you think you've got it made, and you, you can just coast now. I heard Cleveland Beckton, who was our former general secretary and one of the greatest spiritual men of our of the 20th century, and a great leader in UPC. When he was in his 70s, we preached a conference together somewhere, and I heard him say, "I'm so anxious to go home." and to put into practice, and there, there were several speakers at this conference, but he said, I, I'm so anxious to go home and to put into practice what I've learned at this conference. And I thought to myself, yes, that's what I want to hear because I never want to stop growing and I never want to stop reaching, uh, you know, to be used, used by God. So to find the will of God, I, I just think you've got to open your eyes and you've got to look around and see what needs to be done. And, and, and I think that that's what makes the difference is uh, seeing the need and finding the need and fulfilling it. Did you ever feel lost in your life, in, in your ministry? And uh, talk about how did you work through that, that lost yes. feeling? 
Yes, and that's a very real question. Uh, here's my feelings about this. Um, I think every young person, that, especially those that grow up in the apostolic church, and really it's probably true for everyone, at some point in your life, in your ministry, you're going to hit the wall, and, you, and you're going to just doubt pretty much everything that you've been taught and everything you believed in. Life has a way of doing it. And sometimes the enemy, sometimes the attack of the enemy, and sometimes it's God testing us. And we kind of feel like Job, you know, I look to the right and the left and before me and behind me, and oh, that I knew where I might find him. And you will come to a crisis. There's no doubt about it. The only question is when and how will you come through it? I was a late bloomer in that uh, I didn't hit that season in my life until I was 31 years old. I'd already been in full-time ministry 10 years. I'd pastored for five years. I'd been a new pastor for three. And I'd already evangelized one year, and I was evangelizing again at this particular time. And uh, I just I had been in a very intense church situation. It was very much a spiritual warfare and a challenge. And when, after five years of absolute battle, uh, I got out from under that, and it just my whole world just came in around me. I was married. I had two small children. I didn't have a trade to fall back on, or I probably would have. In fact, my wife and I had serious conversations about getting out of the ministry and going back to my home church or her home church and getting a couple of good eight-to-five jobs and raising our children to be apostolic. I just didn't really want to have anything to do with the ministry. I, I felt I, I felt numb. I felt empty. I had just lost it. And I'll just tell you that the only time I ever got mad at God was this season in my life. And I don't advise this, but I was at an, an evangelist quarters at a small church in Arkansas, and I did bolted the door before church that night, and I could hear them praying and singing and playing the organ and getting ready for church. And the devil just really tormented me and just really put a lot of self-doubt in me. And I just, I was so miserable, and I just screamed at God. And I said, God, I'm not leaving this room until you give me a desire to do it. I mean, I shouted it as loud as I could, and I just crumpled to the floor, and I wept, I don't know for how long. But in my brokenness, God spoke to me. I'd never had God speak to me like this before. But I heard, not an audible voice, but in my spirit, 1 Corinthians 15.10. I thought, what in the world? And so I get my Bible, I'm on the floor, and I'm crying, and I can't hardly see, and I'm paging through my Bible, and I look at 1 Corinthians 15.10, and Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I didn't realize it instantly, but it, in the next few moments, I began to realize that God was giving me a revelation of grace. And right after that, Philippians 2.13 came into my spirit. I didn't had no idea what it said. I, I paged over there. It is God that worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God gave me a revelation of grace. I'd lost my desire. I lost my, my tank was empty. And, uh, and I'm telling you, in 30 minutes, God put me back together. I, I busted out of that evangelist quarters. I mean, I was ready to charge hell with a water pistol. I was so, I was so fired up. I had six months of absolute torment and being empty. 
and now I have a fresh revelation. I went out, I preached like a wild man that night. And uh, I'll tell you this, if there's a young person out there who feels lost, if you just get real with God, you just got to get real with God. If you're hurting, tell him you're hurting. If you're frustrated, tell him. If you're disappointed, tell him. You got to keep it real. You can't play games with, with a calling. You just got to keep it real. And uh, it's so interesting. You know, when God gets ready to turn it around or when you get ready, it doesn't take a whole lot of time. In fact, after that service was over and the, and the tornado was was gone, uh, I was sitting on the altar next to my wife, and she's looking at me like, "What in the world happened to you?" And I really hadn't, I didn't really understand it all myself at the time. I just had a revelation of grace that that grace was not just to get me saved, but God was working in me and giving me the desire that He. He wanted me to do and give me the desire for ministry. And that's what I prayed. I said, God, I'm not leaving this room till you give me a desire to do it. Little did I realize that even in my frustration, my prayer absolutely was the prayer that I needed answered. And I needed that desire from God. And that desire is called grace. God is at work in you, giving you the desire to do what he wants you to do. And then the power to do it. And if you've got the desire for ministry and the power for ministry, You've got the devil beat. And uh, as we were sitting on the altar, a woman walked up to us, and she put her hands on her head. And she said, I don't know what this means, but in three weeks, God is going to give you direction for your ministry. Wow. That was on June the 5th, 1988. And on June 26th, three weeks to the day later, I was preaching my first message at the Life Church, where I've been now pastoring for the last 25 years. So... God has been good to me, and I still got. I'm still armed with the revelation, and I wouldn't wouldn't want to go through that lostness again. But I wouldn't take a million dollars for it because it just totally revolutionized my life, my ministry, and I've never been the same. Wow, that's incredible. What do you see in the young people of the apostolic movement? What do you see as the future, and and what's your vision for the for the young people of the apostolic movement? Well, uh, I'm very excited about the future. I, I'm sure that some don't share my enthusiasm, but I'm very, very excited about the future. I've been to uh, three out of the last four youth congresses. Um, I've been invited, even with all my gray hair, to preach a couple of youth conventions the last three or four years. And um, I just... When I look at this youth, at the generation, the youth of today, and in my generation, there is, seems to be so much more energy, so much more passion, so much more worship, so much hunger for God. Uh, that really excites me. And I look at the young people in our local church. Every Sunday, we've got four or five or six rows of, of teenagers that are in the front, they're on their feet, they're leading in worship. Uh, I wouldn't even want to have church without them. They're just, they just light a fire for our whole church. This generation, uh, I've always believed that my generation is the rapture generation, and I believe that I'll live to see the rapture. But if I don't, if I should pass off the scene, you know, today or 30 years from now, whatever, I'm doing what I can to plant seeds today that will bless generations to come 
tomorrow. I'm investing in the next generation. In fact, I have a Timothy group here at our local church with young men, about 16 or 18 young men that I'm trying to sow seeds into and invest for the future. I want to, I want evangelists and pastors and teachers and apostles and prophets and missionaries and church planners. I want them to come out of our church because I don't believe the mark of a great church is its seating capacity, but I think it's a sending capacity. I think that's what really being an apostolic church is all about. Uh, and, and I see great things, you know, Joel prophesied and Peter reached for that on the day of Pentecost and said, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour up my spirit on all flesh and sons and daughters shall prophesy. And I see this last revival as a, as an all flesh revival. It's a multicultural revival and it's male and female sons and daughters shall prophesy. I'm seeing, I'm seeing God call young ladies into the ministry prophetesses and before it's all over, it's all going to go back to the book of Acts. All of it is. And God's not coming back for any less of a church than what he than what he started. And I'm very excited about the future. And uh, it's a privilege to have an opportunity to to, to influence it for, for revival. Can you take a minute and just, in closing, just pray for that young man. Pray for that young lady that's seeking God about their ministry. Uh, maybe they're not real clear on the future, but they know that God wants them to do something. Or maybe right now they're in that, that period of just questioning or seeking and trying to uh, find out what the next step is. Can you just pray for, for us and pray for these young people? It would be an honor. Lord Jesus, I thank you for uh, Brother Jacob Tapia, and I thank you for his heart uh, to come alongside other young people that are searching out your heart and your will and your mind for their lives. I thank you for this venue and this opportunity to communicate, Lord, uh, just aspects of ministry. And I pray for that young person, especially right now, that young man, that young lady, that uh, really has a lot of conflicting voices and feels the pull of uh, career and the pull of education and also feels the pull of, of ministry I just pray, Lord, that as they fast and pray, Lord, your will is not a mystery. And, Lord, if they will fast and pray, in a very few short days, you can speak to them clearly what is your heart and what is your mind. You can speak to them through the Holy Spirit. You can speak to them through your word. You can speak to them through spiritual authority in their life. Their pastor, uh, Lord, can be a very powerful voice of direction in their life. I just pray that, Lord, they will come underneath your mighty hand. Lord, help them to stay in the Red Hot Revival Church. Help them to stay in a Red Hot prayer room, Lord. Help them to stay in a, in a Red Hot time with you and your word every day, Lord, to develop and cultivate, Lord, a daily walk and relationship with you. And out of that relationship, Lord, will come communication. And you will speak to them, oh, Lord. I come against every force, every vile devil, every spirit that would try to compromise or discourage or redirect them away from your heart and your will. I silence the voices of deception and lie and deceit that would keep them, O oh Lord, from obeying the truth. And Lord, just winnow a path for them and make it clear or give them a clear, compelling vision of their future, O oh Lord. And now I will give you all the praise and the glory for what you're doing in this generation. And I give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, Brother Gleason, thank you so much for being with us today. And, and if if, uh, if any of our listeners want to know more about Brother Gleason, they can go to the website of his church, tlckcmo.com. And that's the Life Church, Kansas City, Missouri.com. Brother Gleason, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, we just pray God's blessings on, on the revival you guys are having in Kansas City. Thank you, Brother Jacob. We love you. We believe in you. You're doing the good work. Stand on the wall. Don't come down. God bless. All right. Thank you.